and you know finally I'm like what what happened and this guy his you know it was I mean you know it's three o'clock in the morning but he just said I'm going to tell you right now two people are dead selfishly I was thinking I'm going to jail for the rest of my life because I wanted to go on some trip. What's the difference between guilt and shame? Guilt is a feeling of responsibility or remorse for some offense, crime, or wrongdoing. Guilt says, I did something bad. Shame is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior done by me or sometimes by another. Shame says, I am bad. Guilt deals with my feelings in regards to my actions. Shame deals with how I feel about myself. Guilt can lead me to repentance and healing. Shame can lead me into depression, low self-esteem, loathing, and bitterness. Shame can lead me into making some really bad choices. If I am allowing shame to permeate my life, how do I change my perspective? Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. Today, I have a good friend with me here that's going to share his incredible life change story. So let's get into it, shall we? So hey, friend, glad you're here. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, everybody and Eric. Uh, my name is Matt Slavic. Uh, 38 years old, live in Bentonville, Arkansas. And you just got married recently. Just got married October 22nd. I think that's the date. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's a, quite a quite a great thing for you. So why don't you tell us where you started? Where did little Matt start? Uh, did you, uh, where'd you grow up? Are you a local guy or did you grow up from somewhere else? And tell us a little bit about your upbringing, your childhood. Okay. Uh, yeah, I grew up in, uh, so I'm an identical twin, was born in Toronto, uh, Canada. So dual citizenship, which is fun. Um, and then we grew up in a small town, Heber Springs, Arkansas, Central Arkansas, Little Red River, Grist Ferry Lake, beautiful. Uh, but grew up there. It's just my brother and I, uh, both both parents in the home. Very athletic. We did all sports that we could and just had fun that way. And um, we were we were not super close growing up, but we are incredibly close now. Were you competitive growing up? Yes, we were, we were very competitive. Uh, it, it's it's nice to have somebody that is pretty much just like you to compete against and push and. All that was great. Yeah. So we, we, Mark had a little bit more confidence than I did, I would say. Uh, I, I, I struggled with that a little bit, but it was great to have a, you know, a clone and, and could just, we, we read each other's minds on the basketball court and on the soccer field. And I would, you know, cut back door and he'd pass it to me or, or, and we also, he was number 24, I was number 42. So <laughs> just to confuse people. You know. So did you do the confuse people thing a lot? Did you like uh, trade places a little bit or we, not? You know, we, we, we got confused every now and then, but once you're around us enough, you can tell a difference. Uh, I'm the better looking twin, obviously. Oh, no, we, <laughs> we, uh, I, I don't know. There's something about being around twins for a while. You can just tell them apart. Yeah, we have like a twin, weird twin connection. So fun. what was it like? I mean, what was it like with your family dynamic? Did Were you really close to your mom and dad? Were, and you said you weren't as close with your brother then as you right. are now. So what was the family dynamic like in right. the Slavic so household? We, we, were, um, we were not super close, I would say, growing up. Um, we weren't at odds with each other. We just weren't close. And then was with my mom and dad. Uh, close until 
probably high school and then and then uh, I became maybe like every other high school kid and mom and dad weren't cool anymore and and so uh, now my I mean, mom and I are, are closer and my brother and I are incredibly close our, our dad passed away in in 2011 which was part of what caused my brother and I to get closer together and um, it, there was a, a realization of oh man it's just it's just us now and and we miss things with dad. Let's not do that with each other. So right. now we're annoyingly close, I would say. <laughs> um, yes. Was there anything in your childhood that you would say still is something that impacts your adulthood? Uh, absolutely, yes. We, uh, My brother and I have an uncle. Uh, he actually passed away somewhat recently within the past few years. But for one, he decided to introduce us to pornography. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he never married, never had kids. But that I think that was his way of kind of like a birds and bees sort of talk. And so he introduced us to that. And then uh, later on that night, woke up to him uh, abusing me. And, and you know, I, I thought until we were in, you know, 32, 33, I thought it just happened to me. So, I, I you know, here I was, eight-year-old, nine-year-old boy. I was supposed to trust this guy. He's part of the family. And he, and this thing happens that um, it's confusing, and I don't know, you know, I just don't know what that means. And, right. and but I, for me, it was well, this, I, there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something that he s- sees in me that's weaker, that's less than, that's off, and so he can do this to me, and it and and it's my fault. So I'm assuming, and I don't want to assume. I'm gonna let you answer the question. This was not a one-time event. Apparently, this happened multiple times. It it happened uh, w- with my uncle. Mm-hmm. It, it happened a couple times. How did that change the narration in your mind of who Matt is? Yeah. You know, for my information and my brain was this is just who I am. This is who I'm going to be forever. I'm I'm. I'm this broken version of Mark. It's right. kind of probably how I thought of myself. Um, he he's the the confident, good looking, which is funny because we're twins. But you know, good looking, smart one, and right. and I'm I'm the version of him that's the you know the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that and and I just you know if I can think back to to high school, college, Matt, that's that's who I was always going to be, and there was nothing I could really do about that. So you mentioned I'm Matt, the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> earlier I was, you know, talking about the difference between guilt and shame. Right. You know, guilt says I did something bad right. and shame says I am bad. Right. Yeah. And would you, would that be how you kind of uh, defined yourself? You like, I must be bad because uh, that happened to yeah, me. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, which, I, yeah, I love that you read that, those definitions, but yeah, I, I would say I was fully entrenched in, entrenched in shame. I, I was, I was the bad guy. I was the the weaker, lesser. Um, it, yeah, it wasn't. It, it was like everything that was going to happen from that point on was just going to be subpar, uh, right. because that's what I was was subpar, you know. And so that that um, became sort of my identity that that informed my identity who I thought I was for a long time and then you know with the pornography aspect I had um this way of soothing myself uh, if something was wrong that that rubbed me the wrong way or that I didn't like I could run to this thing that I learned about you know um and so for yeah for for a very long time 
that was my identity. I'm, I'm the broken one, the, the weaker twin, um, and then I've got this struggle that I can't really tell anybody about because right. nobody else struggles with it. I'm the only person in the world that struggles with pornography. Um, so you get through high school and high you school. go to college. And so I didn't ask you earlier about kind of whether or not you had an experience with God as a young child, but it sounds to me like uh, your experience came in college. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about that. So around my sophomore year of college, I, I just started having all these questions and, and what is, who is God? What is, what is heaven? What is this, what does a relationship mean? I kept hearing all these phrases and so I talked with a friend of mine's dad and, and he just asked me some questions and, and kind of led me to the Lord or led me to cry, whatever the phrase you want to say is. And Did you still feel broken then, even after you accepted Christ and you realize now, hey, I'm a child of God? Did you still feel like that Matt was broken? Or was there still that narration going on in your head? A, a little bit, yes, and or maybe a lot bit. And and honestly, I think I, I blamed my uncle for a, a pornography addiction mm. uh, because he's the one that introduced it to me and he, you know, he did this thing and... And so it, it kept me, it kept me maybe angry at him, um, but also it was the thing that I ran back back to on a consistent basis. Right. It was this weird um, cyclical thing that I did. There were a couple different events in my twenties that I would call tragedies. One of those events was uh, my my dad passing away mm-hmm. when we were. Gosh, we were 25, 26 maybe, and, and it was very sudden. He was healthy. He was 61. Um, he just had a stroke, and and I was living in Texas at the time. And really I, what I didn't want to process or think about was how um, the my old identity of the lesser twin. I, I wasn't the son that I wish I would have been to my dad. I, I, you know, I didn't say I love you enough. I didn't thank him for the, you know, millions of things that he did and um so that was very hard for me right and so i I ended up down in texas um which is around the time that my dad passed away and um and then eventually made my way to west texas where i started teaching Mm. (laughs) um i said there were two events in my 20s and so this is the second event this was a year and a half later um but i was Teaching at a, a, it's a little classical school called Midland Classical Academy in, in Midland, Texas. And uh, there was maybe 20 kids per graduating class. And I um, it was my first year teaching in 2012. So every year they did a trip called the, the Adventure Club trip. They would choose, to my knowledge, they would choose a different location and just, hey, uh, Labor Day weekend, we're going to leave school early on Friday. We're going to drive somewhere. We're going to spend the weekend there, you know, hike around, do whatever it is, and then we've got Monday to drive back. And so, it's, again, it's my first year, and I thought, well, I don't know I don't know any of these students. I don't know any of these parents. I don't know any staff. And so I, I thought, I'm going to go on this trip. We were going to Zion National Park, never been to Zion. So we, we leave school 1 p.m. on a Friday, and the plan was to drive through the night, get to Zion, and – kind of rest for a couple hours, but then we're just hiking for two days. And so about 9 p.m., I took over driving so the dad could rest, Cliff. And uh, um, I, I'm pretty notorious for getting lost. Uh, even though I had 
I think we had printed out MapQuest directions, like the old school printed out map school direct, uh, directions. And so we were still going towards Zion, but we were on a different road than everyone else. It, um, and around 10 p.m., everyone else in my car fell asleep. And so it was just me, no no radio. No, I had a Red Bull, but I was I thought, I'm going to wait a little bit to drink this. Well, some, sometime around 1.30, 2 a.m., I actually fell asleep driving and – what I can remember is uh, being woken up because I was I was hitting the rumble strips on the side of the highway, mm. and I'm going around 75 miles an hour, and so I the rumble strips woke me up. So I I jerked the car to the left to get on the road. Well, when I do that, I I overcorrect and I go off. I start going off the road on the other side. So then I correct again, and on that on that second correct. I, I got knocked out, but I'm, you know, looking at the vehicle and knowing details later, the vehicle started to flip or it did flip, mm. which is what knocked me out. Um, so I wake up, <clears throat> I'm, I'm in, it's pitch black outside. I'm in a driver's uh, driver's seat. It's not my vehicle. And I, I just remember being terrified and, and my thoughts were that were, were, where am I? Why did somebody put me in this vehicle? That's not mine. Uh, and just sort of this, what's going on? I, I faintly said, help. And some guy walked over to the door and, and opened the door and kind of helped me out. And there were there were all these things happening around me that I I wasn't aware of at the time. And things, memories sort of slowly came back over time. And so eventually, whatever eventually means, that could be, I don't know if that was five minutes or an hour, but a, a paramedic comes and I'm still, I'm still asking what's going on. They put Colby and I in the back of a, of a, of the ambulance and, and, you know, finally I was like, what, what happened? And this guy, his, you know, it was, I mean, you know, it's three o'clock in the morning, but he just said, I'm going to tell you right now, two people are dead. And it sort of came rushing back. Oh man, I was driving this thing and I fell asleep and now two people are dead because of me, you know? Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I'm just thinking who, who are the two kids or who are the two students? The, sorry, who are the two people? Um, and I found out that Cliff survived the dad. And so I knew that the other, the boys were Bob and Bryce. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, just, I had, I lost my phone in the accident. I lost my shoes. And so I couldn't even call anybody and I didn't know anybody. Right. And so I, it was, I was terrified. Selfishly, I was thinking I'm going to jail for the rest of my life because I wanted to go on some trip, you know, in the ER, um, I was coughing so much that they did a chest x-ray. And so the, the x-ray tech came, his name is Richard Rice. He, he came up to me and just kind of said, Hey, how's it going? And I, you know, I said, well, terrible. You know? And, uh, he, he said, well, are you a believer? When I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, do you mind if I pray for you? So he prayed for me and, and he didn't know the situation really. And, took me back, got a chest. And one of the things he encouraged me to do was to, to write. He said, I knew you're not going to want to, but just over the next several weeks, write as much as you can about how you're feeling, what's going on. Cause you'll, it'll be good for you in the moment. And later on, we, I got discharged around 5am, go back to the hotel room. I don't sleep obviously. And, and just flying back to Midland, later that morning 
I just thought, I, well, what am I supposed to, my, I don't know where my car keys are. I don't know where my clothes are. I don't have a phone anymore. And I get off the airplane and one of my best friends in the world, I was in his wedding, happened to be at the, or not happened to be, but he was at the airport. He came, picked me up and he was the perfect person to be. Uh, he, he cried with me and he was able to joke, you know, in an appropriate way. And, um, it, like looking back now, it's like, man, God was already doing some stuff just that, just with my friend being there. Um, and on the plane ride back to Midland, um, one, a friend of one of the uh, one of the parents sort of pulled me aside and said, "Hey, um, whenever you're ready, they would love to talk to you. They'd love to meet meet with you." These are the parents of the two boys the, that died. The, yes, yes. So okay. uh, Bryce uh, Kerrigan was the younger boy, and then Bob Henson was the older boy, and they they weren't related, obviously. But so Bryce's parents wanted to meet with me. And so over the next couple of days, my, my family had gotten down to Texas. And so that happened on a Saturday. So Monday or Tuesday, I believe, it worked out that we were going to go to their house. And, I mean, I'm so anxious. There's not a, there's not a word, you know, big enough to describe how anxious I was. And, and, and all I could think of was I need to say I'm sorry, but sorry is not weighty enough for what happened. So, you know, I had my my family with me. We people are going in and out of the house, and so we just kind of walk in. And um, one of the the wife's um, sisters had an iPad and just was you know taking names of people just to you know say thanks to people and told her my name. And and this is my brother remembers this. I don't quite remember this as well, but he said she almost dropped the iPad, gave me a big hug. The uh, Danny and Amanda Kerrigan see that they they come sort of they beeline for me, and they give me the just the biggest hug that I've ever had in my life. And wow. they they told me they love me. They prayed for me. They told me that they forgave me. That they knew it was an accident to not carry any any guilt uh, or or shame, and, and just um, they just reiterated it was an accident. They even I I can remember us laughing together in in that moment. Um, and then, you know, I, I stayed in Texas. I went to the funerals. I came back to Northwest Arkansas for a couple weeks and then went back to Texas. And I met with the mom of the older boy, Bob, who passed away. And, um, she, she was a single mom. And, and so our interaction was somewhat brief, but I get to her house and she, the thing I remember the most with her was that she said, uh, I don't think I need to tell you this, but if you need to hear it, I forgive you, you know, and I just, I, I'm crying again. And I'm, you know, I said, of course I need to hear that. Uh, and, and those interactions, um, were indicative of my, that year in Midland and, and the following years teaching there in Midland. But especially that first year there was, I struggled a lot with, um, I wanted to beat myself up because nobody else would. <laughs> mm. I've told people before like grace is not this, this one time they didn't just forgive me then and tell me they love me then, but they have repeated that over and over again. And you know, what, what I maybe deserved as a result of that accident, um, maybe jail time, maybe fines. And at, at, at the least I deserved their indifference but they, but 
you know, grace doesn't work that way, right? So they they genuinely love me and care about what's going on, and they're giving me the opposite of what I felt like, or maybe what the world says I deserved. That that event, I think, went from I'm I'm lesser, I'm weaker. I'm whatever to know I'm, I'm a child of the King. I've got a friend that always says, he tells his kids, Hey, you're, his last name is Waller. So it says you're, you're a Waller and you're a child of the King. Um, and so that's what I repeat in my head. You know, there's nothing they showed me. There's nothing I can do to, um, you know, for God to love me less and nothing I can do for him to love me more. Um, he already loves me more, you know, and that's what they, that's what they showed me because, like they can't, that doesn't happen apart from Jesus. You can't love somebody like me in that moment and the, in the moments to follow apart from Jesus. <laughs> so they showed you incredible grace. Did that influence how you thought about yourself? Yeah. So yeah, I think up to that point, I was still in a uh, wrestling match with Matt's a bad person. Matt's, you know, weaker, lesser. Um, and so, you know, like I said, that year, there there were so many moments of them reminding me, "Hey, we forgive you. Th- this isn't something that you need to keep holding on to, and um, ask us whatever you want to about Bryce or about Bob, and we'll tell you. We'll tell you we love you." They, there were times they they made me turn and look at them, and they held my face, and um, yeah. And so I, I that year in twenty, you know, twenty twelve, twenty thirteen especially is when I started moving from from Matt's bad to this is just a, something that happened. So what would you tell the person that maybe didn't have the grace that you experienced, you know, that's thinking I'm a bad person? Yeah, I would say that for one, uh, I would say get into some good community. Uh, some or maybe I wrote this down in my journal one time uh, a year or so after, but there were a lot of times after the accident happened when I didn't want to do anything. I mean, I had friends that came to visit me for periods of time, and it was sort of like, okay, what are you doing here? I just I'm going to lay in bed all day, and they wouldn't let me do it. And so I, you know, I've said said at some point or wrote down at some point that it's hard to be stagnant. You know, I think of a stagnant pond, and it, and it grows all this gross stuff. It's hard to be stagnant when I when there are friends, uh, brothers, stirring that water for me. God puts people in our life. He puts you, uh, me, into people's life too to to help stir the water sometimes. So I, th- I just think that's way more important than than maybe uh, uh, we give we give credit for. Yeah. Thanks, Matt, for sharing your story with us. Hey. If you are listening today and you have been confused about the difference between guilt and shame, maybe as Matt was sharing, you could relate to his feelings of being broken and feeling like you are a bad person. That's the shame speaking. If you are the victim of physical or sexual abuse, you are not guilty and it's not your fault. If you have caused unintentional hurt on others, Know that you can offer your apology, but whether they accept it or not does not make you a bad person. Maybe you need to change your perspective and receive grace from God and maybe even others. Don't live in the shame. Allow God to change your life. Because if nothing changes, nothing 
changes. Hey, we'll see you next time.